Welcome to the Sanctus NYC Message Podcast. We are the young adult community of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, built on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us today as we look to God to lead us into the fullness of the life that he has for us. But I'm so grateful to be back tonight. Um, I really am. It's a pleasure. I know so many of you guys, and to see familiar faces and some new faces in the room, it's a blessing. So I am going to share something. Um, I'm going to share something because it's something I didn't know much of when I was younger. I gave my life to the Lord when I was about 19. And so similar to what this age group is, um, I came to faith, and, and I was on fire. I was serving the Lord genuinely with, like, all of my heart. Well, at least I thought with all my heart. I'd go out wherever God was calling me. I was like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll serve wherever you want me to go. I, I had a job. I would meet homeless people on the street. I'd sit down with them. I'd grab some pizza just to have a conversation whatever it is, talk to somebody on the train, go out, preach the gospel, like whatever it was, I'll do it for you. And then by my like second year of being a new Christian, I was like, I'm called, I got to go to ministry. So I registered to uh, Nyack College and was on my way to do biblical studies and whatever I felt God was calling me. But by the end of that year, I had some things inside of my heart that I wasn't really willing to give up. Or I wanted to give up. I just didn't know how to give up. So I struggled. Like, I fought with God on this one. I was like, Lord, I, I was addicted to pornography. I was struck now. Um, by the way, who was pregnant with our fifth? Lynette just introduced with that fourth. So pray for me, please. I need prayer. Because I thought I felt old with four kids, and I'm just exhausted enough already as it is. And then somebody called me a, a cool uncle of the church yesterday, which made me feel even older. Um, so <laughs> Wilma did say cool brother. So, um, But by my second year, I was struggling. And I, I, me and my wife, we, we were dating since I was 16, 17. And so we didn't, we didn't serve God in any capacity. But I came to the Lord. But I had things inside of me that I didn't know how to... To, to give to him, right? And so between my mix of struggling with pornography, between my mix of um, trying to, to sleep with my then girlfriend at the time, it took a toll on me, spiritually, mentally, because I just couldn't understand, like, why I couldn't defeat this in my life. Like, it was one of those things I was like, God, you want me to be holy. You want me to be pure. You got to take this from me. I don't have the ability to do this on my own. But I also put myself in circumstances that allowed me to fall. I didn't have anybody back then, unfortunately, to really mentor me. I was kind of just pushing and just doing it on my own. So by the time I was about 21, I had fallen away completely. And I fell so hard that I serve the God of this world now with all my heart. I went back into a life that probably looked so contrary to whatever Christianity was I was stealing for my job. I had a whole racket going on um, in a furniture store we worked at. We used to uh, take product and sell it on the side and do all these different things. And I knew guys who were hustling really hard on the side and doing drug runs and all these different things. And I was now uh, even more than an addiction to pornography. I went and I was out there sleeping with other women while I was maintaining a relationship. I was with prostitutes. I was with anybody, you name it. I literally was just like, I don't care 
I just want to live life. And this was what life looked like me, for me in that moment. And God had to bring me back a hard way, a really hard way. We eventually got married. A lot of aching pain, aches and pains. We came back to the Lord later on in our 30s. But I, I was away from him for 11 years. 11 years of my life I wasted. I wasted on the things that I thought would make me happy in this world. And I'm not just saying that because I think we say that a lot in our testimonies. Like I genuinely thought all of those things would happen. I worked in real estate. I made a ton of money. You know, I chased. I had everything. We traveled. We ate good. And so none of it satisfied. And so I say that to say, and I share what I want to share tonight, is because I want to help police, hopefully somebody in this room, whatever path you're on, and I hope it's the path of righteousness, that I could help you prevent what I went down and wasting years of your life, years of your youth that you could be serving the Lord. And so what I didn't realize, and one of the greatest downfalls, I think, of modern Christianity and why so many fall away is that we're never told many times in many circles of Christianity that it's not going to be an easy journey. Come to Christ. Come, bring all of your problems. Yes, true. Come, he'll give you joy. He'll give you peace. He's going to give you fulfillment. Yes, true. But that most of your life, from the moment you say yes, is going to be an uphill battle. Not even uphill battle, an uphill battles. You're going to go through a nonstop barrage of attacks for the rest of your life when you serve the Lord. And I think the reason we don't preach it enough or we don't speak it about it enough is because the moment you hear that, and maybe you hear it in your heart in this room, is because when you hear that, you're like, that's a little bit too challenging for me. Like, so I'm supposed to serve Jesus, but then my rest of my life is going to be challenging? So how does this make any sense? Like, why serve Jesus if I'm going to be fighting from the moment I say? So if you say yes at 19, 20 years old, and you make it to 80, that's 60 years of your life you're going to be in some sort of battle. Who wants to endure that? I don't think anybody with a right mind really says, yes, yeah, sign me up for that. Like, that's the first thing I want to do. I want to go head first into a battle every single uh, period, different periods of my life. And some of them are going to be small, some of them are going to be big, right? So Jesus calls you. He calls us to a new life. But he also calls you to war. He calls you to fight for him and with him. If you don't believe that in this room tonight, please, I hope by the end of this message, it'll sink in that you're called to war and you're called to fight. And if you don't fight, you're going to fall and you're going to fail and you're going to end up like me on your back thinking that you're living your best life and it's completely devoid of everything that means something that Christ wants to impart with you. So Paul one of the, the probably greatest apostle, greatest evangelist, greatest Christian that we have um, to, in known history, he kind of understands what this battle is like, right? Throughout, if you, if you know your word enough, throughout most of his letters, he writes and he encourages different churches about the experience that he's went through. Like this guy, if, if anybody in Christianity has gone through more, it is Paul. He's taken beatings. He's been um, persecuted on levels that we can't even imagine. Um, he's been cast off. He's been through shipwrecks. You name it, he's, it's, it's was part of his life. So he understood it. So he writes a letter to the Ephesian church. And in closing in this letter, he gives us a description about what this battle is going to look like. And so if we could throw that up on the screen. It's from Ephesians 6.10. We're going to read from. 
And so he closes this letter. So the rest of the letter he's giving to this church is a mix of exhortation of who you are in Christ and to, to make sure that you understand that. It's uh, dictating who husbands should be to their wives, as slaves should be to their masters, as children are to be their, to their parents. But then he ends it because I think he wants to try to speak to the church. He's like, I'm telling you all of these other things, right? And these are all vital things and important things in, in what's going to happen and that you need to, to learn in Christianity. But in order for to be able to accomplish all of those things, I'm going to give you this word at the very end. And it says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. We can leave that up there because I'm going to come back to that a few times. So these few verses that he writes on, and he goes on a little bit longer after this to kind of describe what the armor of God is. We might not have a chance to get into the fullness of that tonight, but if you do and you haven't studied already, take your time to go through and study it on your own. Um, it, it's so vital to our walk. And so we see here, like I was mentioning, you're at war, right? And so we're going to start actually from kind of the middle, the bottom, and we're going to work our way back to the beginning. So verse 12, for our struggle, some of the translations, instead of struggle, it will say, this is the NIV, it will use the word wrestle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So why does he use this word wrestle or struggle? Well, because when we're at war with the enemy of our souls, that's exactly what it's going to feel like. It's a one-on-one -on -one battle most of the time. When you're, the enemy loves to attack when you're alone. Because when he catches you alone, it's the hardest to defend yourself. You can't, you're put into a corner and he's bombarding you with thoughts. He's bombarding you with temptation and all these things. And you're kind of like, okay, I got to fight through this. I got to work. So Paul's saying, look, it's a, it's a wrestling match that you're going to go through. When you're up against the wall, Satan is trying to wrestle you. And in a wrestling match, there only could be really one winner. And so the goal and the outcome of wrestling a match is either you're going to be victorious in that match or Satan is. And so either one of you is going to pin the other one down and have victory over it. And I pray tonight it's you because through Christ it is us. Amen? And so Paul urges us, stand. He says this multiple times actually in chapter 6. He says, stand. Stand so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. And the verse after, actually in verse 13, he says to stand. He uses, actually uses it twice in, the verse, in verse 13. Why? Is because if Satan has you pinned down on your back, if you're falling down, he's wrestled you to the point you're on the ground, it's so much harder to fight from a defeated position than it is to fight when you're at full force and you're governing and Satan's coming against you. No, I got my defenses up. He's not going to take me. I'm ready to wrestle. I'm going to go in hard. I'm going to give it my all. I'm standing firm in who God has, given, has made me to be. Right, And so Satan, once he, if he gets you on the floor, if he gets you on your back, it's game over. It's so much harder to fight from a defeated position, any type of warfare. When I was defeated when I was younger, trying to come back to Christ, that's why it took 11 years. Because he had me on my back. He had me on the ground and he had victory over me. 
And so me trying to come back was always like a little bit of a struggle to step back and okay, okay, well, I want to come back this time, but no. He had his foot down on my chest. He's like, you're not going anywhere. You belong to me now. You're not serving God anymore. So what are we going to do? We're going to do this. We're going to fight for our struggles, not against flesh and blood. Let's go back to um, verse 12. So we need to understand this from the back of this. We need to understand, first of all, if you're in warfare, like I was saying, and if you're called to war, the one thing that we need to understand is this. You need to understand your enemy. Any good general, any good person who's planning battle, you go, any good boxer, any good sport, right? You go back and you play the other team and you find out what their weaknesses are, what their plan of attack is like. So for in order to understand what Satan, what we're up against, we actually have to understand who it is we're up against, what their plan is, how they're coming after us. So since we know we're not struggling against flesh and blood, and that's the thing in church we can kind of, just in life in general, we can get kind of caught up in. We think we're fighting against people. And so when we get caught up in the fighting against a person who may have offended you or done something wrong to you, you're going to react nine times out of ten in the flesh. When you battle flesh, you react in the flesh. When you battle in the spirit, you react in the spirit. So you say, no, it's not what the person is doing. It's what's driving the person. It's who who's driving the, of the person to come against me. So I'm going to not react in the flesh to this person. I'm reacting in the spirit. And so when you react in the spirit, not only does it work and helps you grow, it glorifies God. You react in the flesh, there's no victory for anybody. It's just two people coming at each other. So the moment we start to see we're not up against flesh and blood, but we're up against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world. So that's kind of like mysterious. It's like I don't believe any of you, maybe not all of you, but you walked out of your uh, door this morning and you looked out and you go, man, there's a whole other world out there, a whole other heavenly world that is just being, is ruling everything at this moment. There's spirits out there that are controlling things. There's governing bodies that I can't see, but it's all happening. I don't think we wake up and actually give that much thought sometimes. Like we just go out and do our day-to-day without realizing, pulsing, there's a whole other world. They have control over everything. There's an authority. There's a, a hierarchy here. And then they all have their purpose and plan to carry out the plan of their leader. But we kind of say, okay, whatever. Like, I guess I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I don't, don't got to think about, like, that world. And so because it's this entirely different world, we don't really take it that seriously. We read this verse, okay, there's rulers, there's principalities, there's authorities, there's powers in this dark world. Yeah, that's cool. But there's two things that's going to happen when you do that and you don't take it seriously. So the ruler over all of this is Satan. And literally his name means adversary. He's the enemy of God. And if you serve God tonight, if you serve Jesus tonight, he's your enemy. The moment you said yes to Jesus, that first day you enlisted into his army, Satan now puts you on a list of people to go after. He doesn't need to go after the world because the world follows them without knowing it. But he goes after the Christian because what he tries to do is pull the Christian back into the world. So he had the, the, these principalities, these authorities, they have a ruler. So the first thing that's going to happen when you don't take it seriously enough is this. You're going to say to yourselves, I don't fully believe Satan exists. I don't fully believe these principalities and these rulers exist. 
so that when temptation comes, when all of these things come against you, the first thing you do is go, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I can handle this on my own. And then immediately you're defeated, and then you wonder why. The second thing is that you take it too seriously. And there are some Christians who think everything is controlled by Satan. Everything. Everybody. Everybody who says something negative against you, oh, that, they got a spirit of Satan in them. You know, they got a devil in them, so we got to cast that devil out. And they always think that everything. So what the problem ends up being with that is that there's no ownership. It's also that, that Satan made me do it. So when sin and temptation came and you fall victim to it, it's not your fault. Satan made me do it. So you don't take ownership for the actual fact that you have flesh and there's flesh inside of you that craves and desires to do things. And so we sin. And so when you don't take ownership for it, you're never going to ask for forgiveness. You're never going to find healing and you're never going to find freedom for it because it's always Satan who's doing it. It's always Satan who's tempting you. It's always Satan who's behind everything. But the reality is, yes, does he have power? But we want to give him too much power because the danger in that is becomes we glorify him. And now we give him too much power, and then he becomes a god in and of himself, and he's not. So let's talk about Satan. First thing, he's not God. Whatever you hear out there, there's a thought out there that says that God and Satan were one. And that as they were one, they are now at odds with each other. And so because they're at odds with each other, which is true, yes, there is a war going on out there. They're at odds with each other, and they're both trying to win over our lives and our souls. But Satan is actually trying to be the one to give us freedom. He's the one who actually offers us real life because you get to live however you want. Satan wants you to choose however you want to live. Whatever your heart dictates, Satan wants you to follow your heart. And so there's a group out there who will say, God is the one who's actually the oppressor. All of the law and the commandments he gives us, that's actually meant to oppress us. He's an angry God who wants to keep us under oppression because he doesn't want us to live our best lives. Satan is truly the one who wants to give us our freedom and get us to live in the way that we were created to live. It's in true freedom. Do whatever you want. That's what he created you to do. You can be free in it all. It's a lie. It's a complete lie. Because most will find out at the end of their life that it's completely untrue and there's no fulfillment in any of it. Following your own heart doesn't bring you any fulfillment. So he's a created being. We get a glimpse. Some scholars say Isaiah 12, is a, uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 is a good indication of where Satan comes from. His name was Lucifer. He was an angel. So he's a created being. He's, some describe him as being the most beautiful angel ever created. And so because of this, he has a ton of pride inside of him, and he rebels, and God casts him out of heaven. And in the book of Revelation, it says that um, he took about a third of the angels with him. So you want to know who the, the rulers and the principalities and the authorities that we're fighting against in this world? That's the third of angels that he took with them that he's now in charge over. So can he be in all places at the same time? No, he's not God. Can he know your thoughts and what you're thinking? No, he's not God. Is he all-powerful? No, because he's not God. But what he is, is he is powerful enough as a leader and a ruler over all these principalities, and that's how he accomplishes what he accomplishes, is he does it through all of those who left and rebelled and followed him. 
So he's to, be refer- he's to be feared in the sense of this. If you don't serve Christ, if you're not surrendered to him, then fear him. Because if you think you could go toe-to-toe for, with Satan, you're deceived. You can't fight him on your own. Outside of Christ, he will win every single time. Why? Because he's described as a complete opposite of Jesus. Jesus being humble and meek and gentle and compassionate and lovely, this is the picture of Satan. He's someone who's called a murderer and the father of lies. He's called a tempter. He's a lion waiting to devour you. He masquerades as an angel of light, waiting to deceive you, thinking that he is good and that he has a good plan for your life. So if you think you can go up against somebody like that, you're wrong. I say it again, you're wrong. You can't win this battle if you're not in Christ. You will always lose. Why? Because he's been around longer than you and I. He studied us longer than anybody else. He knows mankind and all of our weaknesses better than anybody else. That's why he's able to get so many Christians to fall away. If I was to do it, if you ever go to college, if you've been in in university or college, there's something when you go to orientation sometimes, at least they did it when I first went. They say, look to your left, look to your right. One of you will not make So I won't do it in this room, but if I was to say, look to your left, look to your right, one of you may fall away. But we're not, because we're all going to serve Jesus to the end. Amen? Praise the Lord. So let's backtrack. We're going to go to verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Well, in order to be able to take a stand against the devil's schemes, Paul is telling us we got to put on the full armor of God. Well, why do I have to pull on the full armor of God? In order for me to understand that, i got to understand what his schemes are in the first place so I know what I'm going to be standing against so that I know what I can put on. So let's find out what some of the devil's schemes are tonight. What does he want? What are some of the things he's plotted against you? It's this. He was going to test your armor. He's going to find out whether or not there's weak spots in your armor. There's the helmet of salvation. Do you believe that you're really saved? He's going to go after the breastplate of righteousness. Is your righteousness really grounded in Christ? Or you really think you're righteous on your own? You do good works all the time. Do you stand on those good works? Or do you stand on the righteousness of Christ? Is that what you stand on? The main thing, this is what he wants to do, is this. In John 10.10, Jesus says that he's a good shepherd. And that life in him is found abundantly. He says that the thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. So what does he rob and rob you from? He wants to rob you from the truth of who Jesus is for your life. He wants you to believe that Jesus isn't who he says he is. That he was just the man, he died on a cross, he was never resurrected, resurrected, and he doesn't reign in glory next to the right hand of the Father right now. He wants you to believe that there is no hope in him, that it's all a facade, that you believing in Jesus tonight is not real. That's what he wants to do is attack your mind to get you to believe, and he wants to steal the truth out of your heart and your mind to get you to to fall and to say, you know what, maybe Jesus, he's not answering prayer. God, I don't even know when the last time I felt Jesus' presence. So maybe he really isn't real. Maybe I don't really buy Christianity so much. And so when he gets you to start thinking that, the next thing he wants to do 
He wants to kill and destroy. He's not your friend. Jesus tells you, abide in me. Right? Apart from me, you could do nothing. We are the branch. He is the vine. What he does is he wants to kill that connection so that you're a withering branch on the floor without a connection to Christ. You can't produce anything of yourself. And so you're there just struggling to muster up some sort of life. So he wants to kill and destroy any sort of connection that you have to Christ. And he'll do it in every single possible way possible. He wants to take every fruit that Christ is producing in your life today. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take the patience he's building you. He wants to take the perseverance from you. He wants to rob. He wants to steal. He wants to kill all of it. He wants you separated from God for an eternity. That's what he wants. He wants you to become formed to this world so that your testimony for Christ has no weight. Go. Keep listening to what you want to listen to. It's okay. It's just lyrics and music. Keep watching what you want to watch. It's just a movie. It's just videos. So nobody's going to check your Netflix account. Nobody's going to see what you watched last week or last night. It's okay. Talk about it with people in your job. It's okay to be conformed. How are you going to win people to Christ if you're not like them? Don't you got to be like them to win people to Christ? You got to have to be able to talk to them about something. So what did you watch on Netflix last night? Oh, I watched it. Great, I watched that too. What do you listen to now? Well, there's this great, amazing artist. You got to check him out. That's awesome. I listen to him too. So what did you like? Oh, I went out last night. Yeah, I, was, I, I got drunk and I, was, I came home and I was like, I woke up with the worst hangover. Well, that's, that's amazing. You want to come to church with me tomorrow? <laughs> he wants you to be conformed to this world and he'll, be, he'll get you to buy the lie that in order to get people to Christ, you got to look like them. You got to act like them. You got to talk like them. And that being holy, that's going to put people off. He wants you to conform. He wants you to believe that you're in control of your life tonight. He wants you to think that there's control in every area of your life. You have full control. Whatever you want to do for work, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go for school, whatever you want to study, whoever you want to be in a relationship with, whoever you want to marry, he wants you to believe that you have full control over that. He doesn't want you to believe that God has a right to have a say-so in any of it. You have a control over your life. Continue having control over your life. He wants you to believe the very first lie told. You can be like a God. It's okay. That's the lie of the world today. You can be a God. You don't need God. You're a God yourself. And this one I love. He wants you to think you can live with a secret sin and he'll protect you from ever being exposed. That's what happened with me. William Gurnall, he's a great... Um, preacher. Uh, he wrote three excellent uh, volumes on spiritual warfare. And he makes this great statement. He says, when the spirit convicts you of sin, Satan will try to convince you. It's such a little one. Spare it. Or he'll bribe you to the soul with a vow of secrecy. You can keep me in your good reputation too. You will not, see, you will not be seen in your company to shame you among your neighbors. You shut me up in the attic of your heart out of sight. If only you will let me now and then have the wild embraces of your thoughts and affections in secret. 
I don't know how many of you in here in the room tonight have some secret sin you're struggling with. And God's trying to put his finger on. He's trying to take a, and Satan's like, don't worry. Your reputation. I'm going to let you carry on. You'll look like a Christian. But when you go home at night and when you're alone by yourself, nobody's going to know. You can keep that sin. Nobody's going to know about it. I'll protect you from it. I'll protect your integrity. I'll protect it from it ever being exposed. And that's the greatest lie he's told this last generation. How many leaders have fallen recently because they thought that Satan or God, because Satan masquerades as an angel of light, how many of them thought they can live in sin and it would never be exposed? Everything hidden in the dark comes to light, will be shouted from the rooftop. Don't hide your secret. I hid mine for years, and it came to light, and it was the ugliest thing. When my wife found out who I really was before we got married, it broke her. I mean, it broke her. When my family found out some of the stuff that I was doing, it broke them. If you got a secret sin in your life tonight God's dealing with, give it to him. Don't let Satan... Um, let you buy the lie that you can keep it. So lastly, if he doesn't get you in those areas, the last thing he's going to have you do is this. He'll have you believe that you've won. I'm victorious. I'm a good fighter. Every time he comes in, he tries to wrestle. Boom, I got him. I got my armor on. I got my helmet on. I got my breastplate. I got my belt on. I got my shoes on. I got my sword. I got my shield. And every time he comes, I'm fighting. I'm fighting. And I'm always victorious. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm singing and dancing on Sundays. He's never coming after me. And then you put your defenses down. Because Satan leaves you for a while. Just like he did Jesus when he was tempted, when he went into the desert. It says he waited for a more opportune moment. So don't put your defenses down. Amen? Keep your defenses up. Why? Because he's going to come back. So he may leave you for a season, and you're like, man, I'm victorious. Praise God. The devil got nothing on me. And then a year, two years later, you put your guard down a little bit. Somebody comes, starts saying, does something, and then all of a sudden, he got you toppled over. So keep your defenses up. Put your, keep your armor on. Don't take it off. So now, we got that. We got to put on the full armor of God. So then how do you stand? How do you stand and not get taken over by Satan? The first thing is this. You got to be strong. Not in yourself. You got to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. If at any moment you start to think, I'm strong, he already has you where he wants you. Because now you trust in yourself. Now you believe in your own strength and your own power. So Satan's like, great, I got one in here because he thinks he's strong. Just wait until I come. Wait until I come with this temptation. Wait until I come with this attack. And I don't really show him whether or not he's strong. You have to acknowledge that the victory has already been won for you. The battle has already been won. So the one thing as Christians, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Because Christ already, he promised, he's overcome the world. So Satan uses the world, he uses your flesh, and he uses any other tactic to come against you. But he's already been victorious because he promises that he's overcome the world. He's also promised that he's overcome your flesh. Because you've been crucified with Christ and your sin no longer reigns in your mortal body. 
And so because of that, you know where you're coming from. I'm fighting from a, a position where I don't have to do the fighting anymore because Christ already is the one doing it for me. God, I'm going to fight. So the one of the key equations, there's two parts to this. There's the you part and there's the God part. God will fulfill his part. He already has because what does he says? He says, put on the full armor of God, not on the full armor of Justin, not on the full armor of any of you in this room. Put on his armor. I'm going to supply you with the armor. I'm going to supply you with the power. I'm going to supply you with the strength. This is what I need you to do. I need you to be strong. I need you to be. And by being, it's trusting him for what he's already done for you and what he's going to do for you and what he promises you that he will continue to do for you. He loves you. He's a father, and a father fights for his children. So you stand on the promise that he will not let you go because the moment you start to think, okay, God, don't got me in this area. He doesn't really have my back. That's when you start letting the reins go a bit, and then Satan starts to come. No, God got you. He, he has your back no matter what. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to build you up. He's going to do it all. All he asks you to do is be strong. Don't run. Don't flee. Stand your ground, and I will be with you in the battle, but you can't leave. Don't fight against me either. Fight against Satan. Know your enemy, but God is not your enemy. If he's convinced, trying to tell you to do something tonight or change something tonight, he's not your enemy. You don't fight against God. We fight against the one who is against our soul. So I wanted to give you a really quick story from the Bible, and then I'm going to close. There's a story. Paul writes this, and as like I said, Paul understands this better than anybody. So in Acts 16... We got that scripture up. I'm going to see, he kind of plays it out, right? Because he, he's written this later on. He, he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church later on. But he lives this out where he, once, uh, we were going to the, uh, to the place of prayer where we, met, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for owners by fortune telling. Just like pause here. Horoscopes, no, no. Fortune tellers, no, no. Don't go to any of it. I tried that too. I paid like $400 to go see this guy in the second floor in the West Village. And I was like, this guy's going to tell me everything I need to know. He told my brother that he was supposed to have three children. He told me I was in the wrong profession. That was true, actually. I was in the wrong profession. Oh, he, he. Man, it's generically. Um, I spent $400 for And I had to wait two months. The guy was booked out for two months. Curse my friend who bragged me to that thing. Um, it, 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 there's no horoscopes, none of it. Somebody says, what's your sign? Say Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, you don't need it. She followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the what? The spirit. So he didn't go, this woman's annoying me. Clearly, she's the woman annoying me. But he knew, I don't fight against flesh and blood. I fight against principalities that are greater than this. So it's not the one. She's not the one coming after me. It's the one driving her to come after me. So I, he says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. 
They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. Now they're just upset that they lost money. They didn't care about the practices. The crowd joined in an attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. So there's another thing. You upset, Satan can't get you one way. You upset him enough, he's going to come after you harder. He couldn't get him with the mocking, and that's what Satan's going to try to do with this world. He's going to get the world to mock what you believe. Do you really follow Jesus? Do you really believe he is who he says he is? Don't you know there's stuff out there that's contrary to this? Like, aren't, this is, you, you follow some, like, myth. He's going to, they're going to mock you, but you got to stand. You got to stand. And so he comes after them harder. So this is a good glimpse, just like Job. Satan has access to everything. He's going to fight you mentally. He's going to fight you spiritually, but he can also fight you physically. He can attack your physical being. He did it with Job, and he did it with his family. Don't ever think that that's off the limits. Sometimes physical ailments are because of attacks. Jesus had to deliver demons out of people because there was physical ailments there, and he had to cast demons out of them. So the crowd joined in. Let's go to the next section. After they had been severely flogged, severely, like, I mean, they got beat. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks, in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You want to know about who has armor on right now in a prison cell? They didn't have their wounds tended to. They didn't go to the hospital first. They didn't have a nurse visit them in their cell and go, oh, you were beaten and flogged. Let me take care of you really quick. Would you like a cup of water and some hot tea? They were beaten and flogged and then chained. So they couldn't escape. They couldn't move. And this is nowhere close to an American prison system. Not even a fraction of it. And what were they doing? When you have your full armor guard on and you're on guard and you're standing firm, this is what you do. This is how you fight. You pray and you sing to the Lord and you praise him. You have your hands lifted up high. Satan can't attack you. He can't come against you. Why? Jesus It's only about you. Oh, I love you, Lord. I praise you. I'm praying to you, God. I don't care if I got beat. I don't care what they did to me. I'm praising you right now. I'm going to sing to you with everything that I have. I don't care. How can Satan attack you when you're in the presence of God? He can't. That's where your victory comes from. You stay in the presence of God. You fight from the presence of God. And Paul ends, and we, I don't have the verse up, but he actually ends this chapter by this, pray in um, the spirit always. Always. That's a challenge for us, to pray in the spirit always. He also tells us in another um, letter, um, don't, don't, never stop ceasing. Pray in all things, right? Don't stop praying. So they could have grumbled to the Lord. God, we were just doing your work. That's all we wanted to do was spread the gospel. Now look at what happened to us. We got beat, flogged, and now we're thrown to prison. They could have sat in that prison cell grumbling the entire night. But no, Satan, you don't have victory. You have the final say-so because of Christ. So I close with this. I don't know what you're going through. I had a rough week. Amy was just saying it. 
I, I knew what I was going to be sharing earlier on this week. And so there's some things that happened in the middle of this week that I was like, okay, Lord, how do I respond in the spirit? Because some of those attacks came from within the church. And so it's so easy when it come from, from people that you trust and people that you believe serve the Lord alongside with you. And when those attacks come from them, oh, that throws you off really fast. But God, I know what's behind it. Satan wants to divide right now. He's not having the victory. I humble myself before you, Lord. I humble myself. You're the one with the final authority. And we have a promise. And so let's read this promise as we close. It's from Romans 8. The promise is this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecutions, or famine, all of those things you're going to experience, every single battle, any of that, is it going to, or nakedness, or danger of sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We consider a sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who love us. Or more. You are more than a conqueror. You come out not only victorious, you come out more than victorious. How? By being able to sing and praise the Lord in the middle of the worst trial that you might be going through. You come out stronger. You come out understanding the will of God for your life. You come out with a better character than you did when you fight the battle on your own. You start the same way, the next battle. You end the battle in Christ, you begin a battle in Christ, and you end the battle in Christ. When you come out of that, the next battle comes, you're stronger because of it. You're more victorious because you're going to have more peace. You're going to have more joy. You're going to have a more fulfillment in your life. You're going to have everything he wants you to have. I'm not going to do any kind of altar call. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. But if you want to just praise the Lord with me at the end tonight. In the same way, if you're going through a battle and all you can do is I'm going to lift my hands, I'm going to praise the Lord, I'm going to praise him because Satan can't attack me now when I'm praising. I got my hands lifted. I got my hands so my guard, my defense is in the world. This is an easy way for the enemy to blow, right? But no, in the presence of God, he can't enter. Oh, he can't enter when I'm in the presence of the Lord. So I'm going to stay here. So if you're struggling tonight and you're going through some sort of battle and there's some sin that's gotten control over your life and you want to just stay, I'm standing firm in you, Lord, tonight. He's not going to have victory over me. I am going to make it. I am going to last. I am going to run this race until it's complete. Worship him with me tonight. And I'm going to sing an old hymn. If the singers can come up. I have decided to follow Jesus. cross before me, the world behind me. Would you help me? Would you just you want to leave the world behind, right? I want, I want the cross tonight. I want everything that the cross has for me. I want me on that cross so that I'm not doing anything on my own, crucified to this world, to this flesh, to everything it has to offer. And I'm victorious in Christ tonight. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. To connect with us, visit our ministry page at brooklyntabernacle.org or you can follow us on our Instagram at sanctusnyc.